What's up, everybody? Um, this is the podcast. Oh man, Oof. it's been a while. I've been very busy. Um, new opportunities, new things have come along and kind of took up my time. I know I've been saying I was gonna do more breakdowns. I, oh my god, I know I've said I, I, you know, just like I said, things of, you know, making the transition, but most definitely but you know gonna try gonna do my best um you know with this new with this new job that i have it's giving me more flexible hours so i'm gonna have more time to work on these things and and work on these you know breakdowns and cover other things and talk about other stuff you know i know i've said i want to talk about other stuff besides just fighting so so it's going to be very interesting. So it's going to be very interesting, you know, you know, doing this new job and putting more work into this podcast. So, you know, it, it's true what they say. It is very time consuming. So pretty much this is going to be a post fight breakdown, a pre fight breakdown. Um, my opinions of certain things, um, especially leading up to UFC 254, uh, a lot of these, a lot of. I'm going to have very, very strong opinions. I'm just telling you right now. Um, it's probably going to piss you off. Like I said, I don't care. I don't do this for you. I do this for me. I do this because I love it. Um, all in all, you know, it's going to be very, very interesting. I'm I'm pretty sure it's not even going to be. I'm pretty sure I'm probably going to piss some people off. But like I said, I don't care. So... Starting off with the post-fight breakdown, there was three three different fight cards that were on. Um, Thursday was Cyborg. Saturday was was Ortega versus Korean Zombie. And then, oh yeah, actually, yeah. And then later on that night, it was Lomachenko versus Lopez. Um, also, there's going to be a pre-fight breakdown of boxing. I've been wanting to cover some boxing. So... Uh, so anyways, so kind of going to break this down. It's going to be a mix of both. It's not going to be in exact order. It's just going to be each day is just going to be something that I've watched and studied and, you know, have my opinion on. So the first one was Thursday. So Chris Cyborg in her fight, I mean, it was pretty much just a one sided affair. It was Bellator. It was on Thursday. It, and it was just it was just a one-sided affair. I mean, one of the things that I noticed, I would say, with Chris Cyborg was she looked thinner. She looked thinner. She looked like she was really, you know, not – she was really thinning out. You know, one of the things that, you know, when you watch her, especially in her UFC career, she was – excuse me. She was really, really – putting on a lot of muscle she was lifting her she was lifting a lot of weights like when you see her in the pre-fight promos and you see her you know training videos she was always she would lift a lot a lot of weights um leading up to this fight you know she decided it seemed like she decided to dial back from the weights and almost focus probably on more of a cardio uh she looked very thin she looked good she looked smooth i mean um she seemed a lot faster in this fight i mean she seemed and i think a lot of that is her you know you know cutting back on the you know cutting back on the 
the weightlifting and focusing more on developing her speed and her cardio because you know that was the thing you know she was all she's always very strong she's always very muscular you know her power is always there you know it's just i think for her it was the two things it was her cardio and her speed and yeah she was able to you know go the distance in some of her fights she was able she was able to go that distance you know like with holly home and everything but you know i think given the if she was in a back and if she was in a back and forth fight you know it it just wouldn't show it just you know that muscle would have wore would have weared on her you know it's just she, she's just so devastating and so powerful but when you watch fights where she doesn't get the fight out right away you do see her slow down you know her last fight in the ufc showed that um uh definitely and her speed was also something that was very like very you know her speed you know i mean her speed factor was always something. You know, she was very powerful, but she was never that fast. This, she seemed a little bit faster. And I think it's just because of past experience and, you know, her realizing that, you know, I have the power. What What's the point of putting – What what there, there's no point in continuing this weightlifting when I already have the power. There, There's really no point, in, you know, putting on all this muscle. You know, it would be one thing if I – didn't have enough power and i needed to like at you know if i didn't it would be one thing if i did if you know i didn't have the power but you know i have the power so what do i need to do develop the speed and that's what she's that pretty much that's what she did leading up to this fight um her the the thing with it is she wants to fight amanda nunez and You know, her her fighting Amanda Nunes would be it, that that is the fight to make. You know that 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 is the. I mean, Amanda Nunes, you know, that, that is the fight to make. It, the thing with that fight was that fight would have happened if Cyborg's people did not post that retarded video of, you know, the, the video that pretty much they just lied about what Dana White said to her after her last fight in the UFC. It wouldn't have happened, but, you know, because of the people in her corner making that very mis like that was a terrible move, you know, those plans for Amanda versus Cyborg are, are done. Now, I mean, could it happen? Maybe. I mean, the idea of a possible cross promotion fight could happen. I mean, if the money's right, if, you know, for some reason, if, if, you know, the UFC and Bellator could work it out. But the thing is, is Dana White doesn't want to do it. I mean, the UFC, they've tried cross promotions and it didn't work out for them in the past. So there's a good chance that there's a good chance that, well, honestly, it's just, there's a really, it's not even a good chance. It's most likely they're not even going to try to do the cross promotion. Now the fight could happen 
if for some reason Scott Coker releases, you know, Cyborg and for some reason Dana White's put is able to put, you know, whatever happened in the past behind him and re-sign Cyborg. But, you know, Dana White, you know, he tends to hold grudges and I don't know if especially and like I said, you know, they they literally recorded him and her having a conversation altered the video to make it seem like she like he was saying something saying something to her when he really wasn't and that and i mean like i said it's just the people in her corner if she if she really wants to get back to the ufc if she really wants to fight amanda nunes she's probably going to have to eliminate the people in her corner and you know have people that will have her best interests at heart because the people who who made that video did not have the best interests in her heart and that was um you know and and that was pretty obvious i mean so you know all in all um So we were, so we, so moving on to, I think it was Friday, Friday after that, um, what else, what else? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So Dravante Davis, you know, versus Santa Cruz, it was the all access show. I just watched it. I, I mean, I watched it. It came out, I think it was Friday um or friday or saturday either way i watched it um that was that's very interesting i mean so when i watched that all access uh the thing the thing is with the thing with javante davis is that people seem to forget and it's kind of weird just it seems like almost everybody seems to forget is that you know the first couple of movies that he was in you know the the first the like the first like a good portion of his of his fights when he was fighting on the big stage he missed weight you know that that's the thing he missed weight you know i mean he, and when a fighter missed weight he's missed weight multiple times like he's missed weight and when a fighter misses weight multiple times it's either two things one they're not mentally strong or they were never dedicated or they're not dedicated as much as they want us to think. Um, I question, like I said, I question fighters that miss weight, you know, especially fighters who have, who have missed weight more than once, you know, the first time missing weight, you miss weight once it's, it's all right. Excuse me. It's all right. I mean, yeah, it's still unacceptable. But the first time you could still, you know, you you let it pass after, you know, you, you know, you, you kind of give them the warning and you let it go. But once but if you miss it, you know, two or three more times or a second time, there's just no excuse. You're obviously either not dedicated or you don't have the heart to see it all the way through. And if you don't even have the heart to see it all the way through or the dedication, well, then, you know, how do, how do you expect you to have that same type of heart and dedication in the fight? And that's the thing. And another thing, too, is that I noticed was he tends to slow down in the later rounds. You know, his best rounds are the first five to six rounds, and then he tapers off. You know, but his opponents are so beaten, you know, they're so overwhelmed by him, whether it's mentally or physically, that they can't really pick up on it. So, I mean, Santa Cruz, 
he's he's very fast. I mean, he seems mentally tough, and he's got a gas tank. He can go the 12 rounds. He could push the pace from bell to bell. I mean, will he be able to do it from start to finish, from the early rounds to the later rounds? I mean, I, who knows? I mean, like I said, I think I saw Santa Cruz fight once, and it's been a while. I would have to rewatch some of their fights, but that was the one thing that stuck out to me. You know that that was the one thing that um that that was the one thing that stuck out to me when watching All Access was the guy missed weight multiple times and I don't know if he's dedicated or has the heart as much as he you know wants every as much as you know he wants everyone to think um I mean and but we'll see I mean Santa Cruz is no joke Santa Cruz is a you know, Santa Cruz is a, you know, tough guy who who could probably be the guy to test him. I mean, we'll see. Uh, but all in all, that's just something that um that really stuck out to me. That's really kind of stuck out to me when this fight was announced. And, you know, when I, you know, you know, and when I was watching the all access, you know, it seem, it just seems to be that something that's overlooked. And the question is, and, you know, like I said, because I noticed that when he was working out, he was wearing a sweatsuit, um, you know, and, you know, of course, people who wear sweatsuits, they're trying to, you know, cut weight. You're trying to lose weight. It's one of the uh, it's one of the many ways to help you cut weight. You know, wrestlers use it all the time. Fighters use it a lot as well. So he's using that, you know, sweatsuit as a way, you know, while he's working out. So it's obvious that he's pretty much cutting weight as he's training the question is and that's what i'm saying the question is is like well what is he doing when he's not you know preparing for a fight is he keeping his weight down is he trying to improve his technique and and that's and that kind of and that's the thing you know like i said before you know you know like like i said before you know does he have the heart and dedication? I don't think he does. I mean, like I said, I mean, if he, it just, it, it, like I said, when you miss weight multiple times, I question your mentality. So, so, so yeah. Uh, let's see. So Saturday, Saturday was an interesting day. Saturday was actually fun. Saturday, the fights were the Saturday was crazy. So Saturday it was Ortega versus Zombie. The fights literally every single one of them was just good. Every single one of them was just it was awesome. I mean, every single one of them just it was it was just a great fight one after the other, finish left and right. Um, the two fights that I'm going to mostly talk about is the main event and the co-main event. Um, I'm going to start with the co-main event because the co-main event, the co-main event really interests me because of the fact that, you know, I saying this leading up to the fight, it, it was Jessica Andrade versus Caitlin Kohagian. And leading up to this fight, I said, You know, I said the most overlooked thing leading up to this fight is the body punches that a man that that Jessica Andrade lands. You know, Jessica Andrade versus Caitlin Cohagen. You know, it leading up to this fight, leading up to this fight, I said the most overlooked thing 
that people, the most overlooked thing that Jessica Andrade uses is the body shots. And leading up to this, and this is something that people have overlooked in the past, both in the Rose fight and in her fight where she won the title against Rose. The reason why she was able to do the stuff she was able to do in both fights was because of the body shots she was landing. I mean, and it seems to be something that everyone seemed to overlook leading up to this fight and the fights before. You know, it's the reason why she landed and almost finished Rose in the third round. You know, because of those body shots. You know, she was landing those body shots early. And as the fight wore on, you know, Rose's outfit wasn't the same. And then the same thing you know she landed those body shots on Caitlin Cohagen and just I mean it it you you knew it was bad when she grabbed her side and turned away because it was just you know because you know when you get hit in the body it's just you're you're done you know there, there's a chance there's really no chance to recover when you get hit with a good body shot you're not the, the chances of you recovering are just impossible because everything shuts down your whole body shuts down you know when you hit, take a shot on the chin you know and you're wobbly maybe you can recover you know you have a little bit more of a chance to recover but when you take a body shot when someone gets you to the body really good good fucking luck trying to get out you know get out or at least trying to survive and that's what happened i mean leading up and, and it's just it's so bizarre and i don't know why people seem to overlook it you know jessica andrade's body punching is one of her most significant and effective weapons and she's just you know and it's what's helped her throughout most of her career you know it, it helped her win the title it helped her damn near finish rose in a fight where i thought she won you know i thought it was a close fight but i thought i thought jessica andrade won you know she she cracked her she had her hurt in the third round and was on top i mean beating her up it was pretty clear and like i said the damage was pretty clear too but like i mean judges don't know shit so that's no surprise but still i mean the the fact that you know that her body punches is her most significant weapon and people overlooked it leading up to this fight was just hilarious and then what's even more hilarious is that you had you know it, it was that you had the weasel who you know on youtube if you don't if you don't know who he is look him up the weasel um w-e-a s-l-e You know, just she I mean, he literally went on there and said that he thought Caitlin Cohagen was going to win. And during the post fight breakdown said, oh, this was all power. No, it wasn't just all power, you idiot. This was pretty much Amanda Nunes. I mean, Jessica Andrade. I don't know why I keep saying Amanda Nunes. I'm sorry. But this is pretty much Jessica Andrade. Jessica Andrade has power. Her Jessica Andrade, this wasn't just a case of Jessica Andrade having power. This was a case of Jessica Andrade putting that power into effective body punching. Her her and that's what won her the fight. It wasn't just all power. It was show it was effective body punching. That's what won her. It wasn't just this, you know, oh, she won it on just pure brute force. No, she won it on throwing effective body shots. Good, you know, technical body shots. I mean, that she throws right from the hip. 
which is one of the ways you throw body, which is the effect, which is the way you throw body shots, which is one of the way, which is the way you throw body shots, especially in that close range, the way she throws them. And it's just, I mean, I don't know why he overlooked it. Like I said, and, and even Jimmy Smith overlooked that. It seemed like everyone that talked about this fight looked over the fact that Jessica Andrade throws mean body shots and, it you know and that's her most significant weapon and we've seen and we saw her you know execute that in her title fight her second fight against rose and pretty much in this fight all in itself and she's shown it in other fights too you know her body shots are her most effective weapon and she's showed it so much throughout her fights and people still don't acknowledge it i don't know why people don't acknowledge body shots I don't know why body shots get overlooked in MMA. It's just weird. Certain techniques, certain approaches, it, it seems like people in MMA overlook them, you know? And it's like, and I don't know why, but, you know, it's just, it's just, it just goes to show you that the sport is still evolving and, you know, it still needs more time to develop, you know, because there's just certain things that are, that, that get seen or, or that are pretty much shown that are obviously there. But people, for some reason, think the exact opposite, and then it's just, you know, and it never gets acknowledged. So, yeah. You know, so, leading on to the main event, um, Brian Ortega versus Korean Zombie. I mean... Brian Ortega looked completely different. I I did not recognize him at all, you know, in his performance. Um, You know, this fight I expected, you know, and this is just another bad fucking, you know, just a bad breakdown of the weasel, you know, saying that, you know, for Brian Ortega to be successful, to take fights to the ground, he has to learn how to wrestle so he can take fighters to the ground. But the thing is that the weasel, and so many people seem to overlook, is that he doesn't need to wrestle because his style of jiu-jitsu is made for a fight. That's what Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is. Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is it's, it's for fighting. It's not for grappling. That's the thing. You know, that's the, that seems to be the thing that, for some, like, once again, something that is overlooked. Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, you know, is is made for fights, not for grappling matches. That's why his style of Jiu-Jitsu is for fighting, not grappling. So he doesn't need to learn wrestling because he's going to make it a fight. Um, but if there was one thing he needed to improve was definitely his striking. And, you know, definitely being more technically sound on the feet and being more calm and not so quick to, you know, rush in and get into brawls and, you know, and he showed and and he showed that his, his improvement was far better than I could have ever anticipated. I mean, the setting the, you know, using techniques to set up other techniques, the feints, the fakes, I mean, everything was so calm. And then, and when he was backed up to the fence, what I love is when, when he was in an uncomfortable positions, he didn't just start firing off the cuff. You know, most guys, they get into uncomfortable positions and they just start blasting. They start going, ah, cause they freak out. He was very calm, very cool, very collective. He picked his shots and 
when he threw punches, he only threw punches when he had to. He never threw punches when he didn't have to. And that's the and that's what was very impressive about that. You know, was you know, and the same thing with Justin Gagey. You know, he only threw punches when he had to. He never threw punches, you know, if he did he he never threw punches for no reason. You know, he only threw punches unless he had a good reason. And you know, he remained calm. And that was what was very impressive of Brian Ortega was when Korean Zombie put him into some uncomfortable positions. He was calm. He picked his shots. If he felt there was an opportunity to strike, he would strike. If he didn't, he would keep his defense up and move out of the way. You know, reset himself. And it was it was beautiful. I mean, it was a great performance, great fight. Um, apparently, from what was said, it, you know, from... Apparently, what was said was that the winner was going to get a title shot against Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, honestly... That that's a very interesting fight because both Alexander Volkanovsky has great fundamentals in striking. He's very very resourceful. The guy, I mean, the guy is the guy can compete. You know. I mean. You know, Oliver, he has great fundamentals, and the guy knows how to compete. I mean, the thing that really impressed me was when he, when he fought Max Holloway, was despite Max Holloway, you know, being, you know, despite Max Holloway being ahead on the scorecards, not hurting him early on in the fight, getting the better of him, he still remained calm, and he was still trying to find a way to win and when he finally found his way, he took it in full strides. Most guys would give up by the third round mark and would just ride out the last two rounds. You know, especially with the way Max Holloway was dominating those first three. And, you know, Mac, but Alexander Volkanovsky was still in it. You know, the guy showed that he is a winner. You know, he will find a way to win. And that was and that was really impressed me was that not only did he have fundamentals, but he has a winner's mentality. He doesn't give up. He still tries. He still tries to figure it out. He's still trying to find a way to win. And that's what he did. You know, um, Brian Ortega, you know, him fighting Brian Ortega is interesting because Brian Ortega will, you know, of course, this improved version of Brian Ortega will give him issues to where it's like the thing is to where if Volkanovsky comes within that close range, whether it is to strike or to grapple, Brian Ortega could easily use his opportunity to snatch up Volkanovsky's neck. I mean, he's really good at just getting in that close range, getting that snap down, latching onto your neck, and just choking you like an anaconda on a freaking whatever on a deer. I mean, it is, it's like, like, it's that quick. It's that, it's like that quick, you know, which was one of the things that really, that, that was one of the things that really, and that's one of the things that really stuck out. So, I noticed that the figures of the previous order, the 
you know, that ability to just snap down. So, you know, so for then it'd be interesting because Volkanovsky won't be able to get into that close range the way that he likes, you know, don't get me wrong. He can fight from a long range, but he's the type of guy that, you know, he likes to move in and out almost. He likes to kind of move in and out. He likes to move on the inside, move on the outside. So, you know, Brian Ortega, if he takes that, that range, one of those ranges away, it's going to be interesting to see how Volkanovsky deals with that, you know, especially given someone like Ortega, who's got the long reach and he's got a really good snap down with a mean, with a mean front choke, you know, to tap, to, you know, to, to add the cherry on top. So that would be an interesting fight, you know, mainly because of that, mostly to how, how will Volkanovsky deal with trying to find the range and figure out what range would be effective given the fact that Ortega's long, he's got good striking, but if you get into that, you know, he's got good striking, but if you get into that close range, he'll snatch you up. You know, he'll snap you down, snatch up your neck and choke you. You know, he you know exactly. So that would be very very interesting. You know, but, but like I said, but Volkanovski is a winner. He's a guy that will find a way to win. He is a guy that will, you know, go in there. He will, you know, he will figure it out. And the guy's got deadly striking. The guy's got deadly striking and he can finish, you know, he can finish, you know, he finished Chad Mendez, you know, um, I mean, he's finished other opponents, so it'd be, so it'll be very interesting. You know, it, it'll be very, very interesting to see, to see that fight. Um, kind of disappointing though, because I wanted to see a Holloway versus Volkanovski three, but. Um, for whatever reason, it doesn't sound like that fight's going to work out. But you never know. Maybe Dana's going to have Holloway fight Ortega a second time and then fight Volkanovski. But like I said, you just, you never know. But either way, that would be an interesting fight because of, you know, how well Ortega has improved. The fact that, you know, he's very good at snatching up the neck in close range. You know, Volkanovski, he likes to, he li he's a guy who likes to switch up the ranges as well. You know, he likes to switch up stances and, you know, fight at angles. So, yeah, the, you know, the fact that he's, like I said, he's got great fundamentals. And so that, that would be interesting, you know, him and, you know, Volkanovski would be an interesting fight. Um, you, I may, who knows, maybe that'll be a fight in December or that'll be a fight next, a big fight next year. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. Uh, death will, like I said, it's a definitely fight to think about. D definitely fight. That's very interesting. Um... So with Lomachenko versus Lopez, 
this fight was a very, very, it was very interesting fight. It was to see who would be the undisputed lightweight champion. And I thought it was a great fight. It was a really close fight. Um, I scored a draw. You know, I scored a draw just like Andre Ward. You know, I think Andre Ward was right. It was a close fight. Um, Lopez dominated the first couple rounds. You know, it was pretty clear. I wouldn't say dominant, but he had the first couple rounds. I wouldn't say that he was completely dominating because, you know, Lomachenko was doing a good job of avoiding some of the punches, you know, you know, getting, you know, getting out of the way of some of those shots, taking the impact off of some of the shots. I mean, he wasn't really able to do anything effective back, but he was doing a good job defensively. But Lopez was clearly winning the first couple rounds because he was the one mounting a strong offense. Um... He wasn't really able to do much, but he was he was he's the one who still had more of an effective offense. But as it got into the later rounds, you know, Lomachenko started. I mean, as it got into the later rounds, you know. You know. You know, as it got into the later rounds, Lomachenko started to figure out Lopez. He started to figure him out. He started to attack. He started to get his shots in. He started, you know, figuring out what to do. You know, he started backing Lopez up. You know, he realized Lopez is good when he comes forward, but he can't fight going backwards. And, you know, Lomachenko started backing him up. He started to do it, and it was really good. I mean, he was doing a really good job, especially in, you know, making it dirty in some areas, you know, making it uncomfortable, you know, for Lopez. You know, it very, very, you know, it was a good fight. The last round, you know, Lopez comes out and pretty much he, he dominated the last round. He had the last round, but... I mean, you know, the but the thing was, was not a lot of his punches landed. You know, a lot of them were blocked. Yes, was he the aggressor? Absolutely. You know, he did win that 12th round because he was the aggressor. It wasn't really because he landed anything significant. It was mostly because he was the aggressor. A lot of his punches were being blocked, you know, which was something that, like I said, should have been taken accounted for. Um... You know, it was a close fight. You know, like I said, I had it a draw. Will it happen again? I mean, yeah, sure. It, I can think, it, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a rematch. I mean, a rematch makes sense. But, you know, if it's, you know, a rematch, Lomachenko is going to have to reassess what he did wrong. And what I think was he let Lopez get too comfortable. He shouldn't have let Lopez find his rhythm, gain his confidence. He should have immediately take Lopez's confidence away. You know, like he, you know, like he started to do in the later portions of the fight. You know, he was starting to make Lopez uncomfortable once it got into the later rounds. But instead, when, you know... 
in the later rounds, you know, where instead he should have done it in the early rounds because then, you know, he could, you know, you know, in the early rounds, because then, you know, Lopez, you know, would pretty much be drowning. He, he'd be able to drown. He'd pretty much be drowning at this point. You know, he can take Lopez in those deep waters without worrying about Lopez fighting back. You know, that was the thing, you know, Lopez had the, you know, the reason why Lopez was able to survive those deep waters was because he had the confidence to fight back. You know, that was the difference. <laughs> you know, that was the difference. So, but, um, you know, you know, the rematch would be very interesting. I mean, for, you know, a lot of reasons. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a rematch. Uh, so the, the, if there was, but if there was one thing that really stuck out to me, like one, like the big thing was Timothy Bradley, <laughs> Timothy Bradley is probably one of the most biased commentators. You know, the guy's a gr the guy was a good boxer. I wouldn't say a great boxer. He was a good boxer. Um, he was a world champion. So good for him, but he is probably a very, he honestly, he's probably one of my top five most biased commentators. And the reason why is this, his first, like the first five to six rounds, the first half of the fight, all he was was criticizing Lomachenko, criticizing Lomachenko, praising Lopez. Lopez do this. Lopez do this. Lopez awesome. Da 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 da. Like just praising Lopez left and right. And then as soon as Lomachenko came back, then he started rooting for Lomachenko. 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 This. He started riding Lomachenko's coattails. Up until that twelfth round, when Lopez had that big, you know, when Lo when Lo when Lopez just went all out, he had that big just rush to you know started swinging for the fences, and then next thing you know, all of a sudden, Lopez, Lopez, this, Lopez, that, Lopez, this, Lomachenko, he didn't do good, he did this. It was just total, just on Lopez's nutsack, and the thing was, it was a close fight, and it was a close fight. Everybody knew that. Everybody knew it could have gone either way. Hell, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of people who thought it was a draw. You know, if Andre Ward thought it was a draw, there's a good chance that other people thought it was a draw too. You know, thought it was a draw too. But as soon as the scorecards were announced, Timothy Bradley, out of nowhere, Oh, I told you, I told you, I told you Lopez was going to win. I told you Lopez was going to win. This was just a dominant performance by Lopez. Lopez just dominated. I told you Lopez was going to win. I told you, shut your fucking mouth, okay? You were just as in the dark as I was. You were, you, it's just like, shut your fucking mouth. You were just as in the dark as everybody else when it came to, you know, when it came to the scorecards, don't sit there and act like you knew you didn't know jack shit. You knew you, you didn't know jack shit. And, and that's why I said, you know, Timothy Bradley is a very, very biased commentator because, you know, throughout the whole time he was sitting there, you know, picking sides and praising one guy and not even acknowledging the other. And then had the nerve to sit there and say, I told you, I told you so. I told you so. You didn't tell us shit. You were just as worried about the scorecards. You were just as in the dark as we were about who they were going to give that fight to. So I don't even know why you're talking or even why you're trying to even 
open your mouth like as if you you know you told us something you know you gave us some grand you made us you made some grand grand prediction because when it got into those later rounds and Lomachenko started coming back you were pretty silent most of the way you were really quick to jump sides so yeah that was probably the highlight for me was by was the biased commentary you know as a commentator you can't be biased you have to be neutral regardless if you like the guy or don't like the guy or you don't like you you have to be neutral you know you can't just you know ride the coattails of one and then suddenly ride the coattails of other when it's convenient no you have to you know be neutral and fair and equally point out the strengths and flaws of both you know which of course Timothy Bradley didn't, but yeah, Timothy Bradley, terrible, <laughs> terrible commentator, you know, doesn't really know how to be neutral, let alone be honest, so yeah, that, that was one of the things that was like the most hilarious to me about that whole thing, you know, all in all, I mean, like I said, the rematch would be, if there's a rematch, that'll be an interesting rematch, um, uh, but if not, I mean, I mean, you're the champ, you know, Lopez, you're the fucking champ, man. You're the undisputed lightweight champ. Fuck. <laughs> Nobody can take that. And the youngest, the first, the youngest undisputed champ ever. The first, the, you know, that's the thing. He's the youngest. Exactly. He's the first and youngest undisputed champ ever. That's what's even more impressive. The youngest undisputed champ ever in boxing history. That is a title that he will always have for the rest of his life. I mean, that's something that no one will be able to take away from him. I mean, so yeah, kudos to you, Lopez. It was a great fight, great performance by both. Um, yeah, uh, so the UFC 254. Oh, you know, this is, um, I mean, this is, um, this fight card is an interesting fight card because literally no one is really giving, is really giving anyone, is, is, I mean, really giving, no one is giving Gagey a chance in this fight, um, not even bothering to even, like, entertain the opportunity, or the, uh, the, the, the chance, the opportunity that Gagey might win this fight, um, you know, of course, this is gonna go down, to, you know, like I said, this is, this is leading to a bunch of things, but I'm starting off with the post, I'm starting off with the post fight, you know, with my pre-fight breakdown of this fight, the thing that I said, so the, you know, so I'm not going to start with the, you know, so I'm, I'm going to start with the co-main event, I'm going to start with this co-main event, so Jared Cannonier versus Robert Whitaker, I mean, Jared Cannonier you know, people forget he started as a heavyweight, did really well as a heavyweight. Then he went down to 205. Um, 
Then he goes down to 205. Did really good at 205. I don't know if he's lost yet. Um, I'm trying to think. When did he lose? Because I, I don't know if he's lost yet. I don't know if he's either lost at 205 or heavyweight. All I know is he came into the UFC fighting at heavyweight. Did really good. 205, he did pretty pretty well. I mean, he did a little bit better than he, he he did a little bit better than he did at heavyweight. But when he got to middleweight, it was just completely just shattered everyone. And you know, I know people will try to use the Anderson Silva, you know, example. Um, kinda, you know, kinda sorta. I mean. Yeah, I mean, kind of, sort of. Yeah, you could say that the fight against Anderson Silva was pretty impressive. But the thing about that was, that was an injury. That fight ended on, you know, Silva reacting to possibly re-injuring his leg. People forget that the leg that he got hit with, you know, the leg that, you know, the, the leg he got hit, you know, was the leg that got damaged. You know, it was a leg that got broke in the second Chris Weidman fight. So when Cannoneer hit him in that leg, you know, when Cannoneer hit him, hit him on that leg, you know, he reacted in the way that a lot of people do when who have with the way a lot of people do who have had in his serious injuries to that stuff. You know, some people, you know, their their reactions to it. You know, when people go through traumatic or serious injuries or, or traumatic situations, you know, they they tend to react almost, you know, in an over-exaggerating way whenever something similar happens to them that reminds them of it or feels like it may aggravate it. You know, it's, it's like almost like, I wouldn't say like PTSD, but it's something like that. You know, people who have experienced certain things where... You know, you know, people who've experienced certain things like, you know, a traumatic situation or experienced certain injury, they, they will tend to, you know, react as almost as if they got hurt again, if they have, if they experience something, you know, that reminds them of it, you know. You know, so. You know, it reminds them of it. it. You know, so, but all in all, I mean, his fight against, I mean, all in all, but his fight against Jake Hermanson, you know, was, you know, the most impressive to me, you know, out of his other performances. I mean, he starched. Jake Hermanson. I mean, his fight with Silva was impressive, don't get me wrong, but like I said, this was a Silva who's older, you know, he, you know, you can tell that the effects from the injury, you know, still got to him, you know, despite all that, but all in all, I mean, but all in all, like I said, I mean, all in all, his, like I said, his win over Jake Hermanson was just, what the fuck, like, it was just, I mean, it's pretty clear that being at middleweight, that's his weight class, like, that is his weight class, like, he did good at 205 and heavyweight, but 185, he did exceptional, his fight against Jake Hermanson was, that was impressive, like, it, you know, like I said, it's one thing to fight an old vet, 
But when you're fighting a, like I said, it's one thing to fight an old vet, but when you're fighting someone who's like, like a top contender, someone who's on the lines of that, you know, someone who's, you know, and Jake Hermanson was there. He's top 10 guy, you know, you know, and you beat him in a convincing fashion. He, you know, th- that says a lot. And Jared Cannonier really, I mean, he really, I mean, he, he shut the doors on Hermanson and really showed, you know, I mean, he really showed, you know, he really showed that, you know, he is a threat at 185. 185 is his weight class. There is no doubt about it. That is his weight class. That's where he's always belonged. And it's pretty clear. And he has such a devastating power advantage. I mean, he's got just devastating power. And the thing that makes his power, and the thing that makes his power so much devastating too, is that he's applying the technique to his power. A lot of guys that have great physical attributes, they tend to rely on those physical attributes and never improve their technique. So, and so when they get older they just you know they, they they never really so when they get older they you know they can't they can't compete you know or when they get up to the highest level they're never able to really compete at the highest level because they never adapted their technique you know they never they never improved you know i mean case in point you look at somebody like your Faber who always relied on his physical attributes he never really improved his technique which of course is why his career went the way it did so jake hurt jared cannonier unfortunately he not unfortunately but he is that guy you know that took the who took the right path he's developing his technique with his power which is ma- which is making him even more dangerous and that is something why you know and you know and that is something why i think he's going he's a more dangerous puncher than the likes of somebody like yo romero or paul costa is because of the fact that he is perfecting his technique you know he's not just being powerful he's perfecting his technique along with you know with his power and that is what to me makes him more of a dangerous striker and why i mean him knocking out robert whitaker is not out of the question whatsoever i mean it's more possible that he could starch and finish robert whitaker the thing is though Robert Whitaker has been hit before, you know, now he's been hit by powerful, by powerful people before, Yo Romero doing the most damage, but the thing is, is like I said, Yo Romero's power is not lasting power, you know, Jared Cannonier, his power is lasting, so even if he cracks Robert Whitaker once and Robert Whitaker survives, he's still going to have power later portions of the fight. You know, he's still going to have that power in later portions of the fight. He has that lasting strength. That's what I've noticed when I watch him fight. So especially at middleweight, um, 
So that's something that Whitaker is going to have to deal with is that Jared Cannonier has that lasting strength and that he's more technical than all the punchers that he's faced. So he's facing a guy who hits hard but has the technique with his power, which is going to make him punch even harder, you know, which is, yeah. So, you know, so that's what Robert Whitaker has to deal with. The thing, though, with Jared Cannonier is Robert Whitaker is a champion. He's a former champion. He has performed at the level. He's fought the best. The guy fights in almost like a karate-like style. He has, you know, you know, that is the one thing. Um, you know, he fights in that karate style, which is very, very difficult to deal with. You know, um, it's not an easy feat. You know, he's very good at fighting on the center line. And when he fought, when he fought, you know, Darren Till, he was very good at mixing up the strikes. You know, the thing about the weasel is the weasel. And, and I like I said, I like listening to other breakdowns to, you know, listen to other people's interpretations. Um, Jimmy Smith hasn't posted a breakdown yet, but with the weasel who I've heard re listened to recently, his criticism was is that Whitaker didn't start blitzing until after his fights with Yoel. You know, he wasn't technical. He wasn't. Robert Whitaker has always blitzed, you dumbass. And this is just another reason why I've said why I criticize the weasel so hard on his breakdowns because his breakdowns suck. It's the guy doesn't. It's like, how long have you been watching fighting? How many fights have you watched of this guy? Robert Whitaker has always fought in a blitzing style. He fights in that karate like style where he likes to control the center line, hang back and then blast you. You know, that's that's how he's always fought. You know, you know, the reason why Wonderboy caught him when he fought. Wonderboy was because Wonderboy fights in a karate style too and he's very good at fighting on the center line I mean like I said his him and his fight with Darren Till was pretty much a battle of center lines you know of control for the center line um he's always fought in a blitzing style he's always fought like that you watch him even when he fought at welterweight he always blitzes that's his that's one of his get-ups the difference between now versus how he fought back then was when in the darren till fight he showed more versatility in his striking he still likes to fight on that center line he still likes to blitz the difference is is that he throws more strikes he throws more volumes of strikes strikes he used to throw maybe one or two kicks and then blitz you with four or five punches that's how pretty much he he fought throughout his career and then you know after you know and then he showed a little bit of versatility when he fought yoel in the second fight but in, but still was relying a lot on his blitz you know you know he's he's always blitzed in his fights he's always been a blitzing fighter you know he fights in that karate style and so after his fight with, you know, you know, Israeli Adesanya, who exposed him pretty much, you know, he he's you can tell he really started to fix his game. He realized I, I got to mix up the shots. I can't throw the same combination over and over again because people already people know what I'm going to throw. I got to mix up my strikes. And, you know, and another thing, too, is he's very motivated and very rejuvenated. And that was something, too, that. You know, being a champion is hard and being a champion in a stacked division is even harder, you know, and when you look at Robert Whitaker, you know, you.
You know, you look at Robert Whitaker. He had a hard career, especially as a champion. You got to think. He had a hard fight with Yoel. Then he had an injury. Then he was going to fight Luke Rockhold. And then he fought Yoel a second time. Had an even harder fight with Yoel out on injury. You know, then comes in, has a fight, a red hot Israeli Adesanya after sitting on the sidelines to injury. He had a very tough career. He did not have an easy career. I mean, like I said, you look at his fights, you look at his resume. He has fought tough fights. Jacare, Yoel, Israeli Adesanya. I mean, just the guy has fought some tough fights. So... You know, so when people sit there, you know, so so when you look at it, I mean, the and and this is the question that I asked after his fight with Israeli Adesanya, you know, how many, you know, how much of that was due to ring rust? How much of that was due to going through the hard fights that he went through combined with sitting on the sidelines due to his injury? How much of that was all the damage he took? You know, because it was pretty clear that when you look at his fights, especially that second Yoel Romero fight to the Israeli Adesanya fight, he was pretty much fighting on E. He was pretty much fighting on fumes. He was not fighting on a full gas tank. He was pretty much fighting on fumes. And that was something that was even, it was obvious. So that so that's the million dollar question is how much of that lost Israeli Adesanya was due to him just fighting on fumes, you know, going through the hard fights that he had, going through the injuries that he had. You know, when you watch him against Darren Till, he seemed very new and invigorated and especially mentally. And I know how he feels, you know, it's very easy to get burnt out, you know, when you dedicate yourself to something for so long, you know, you need a break. And I understand that, you know, there, you know, so there, there's nothing wrong with taking breaks. There's nothing wrong with living life and stopping to smell the roses and you know Robert Whitaker you know he seemed to have realized that and now you know he's he's rejuvenated and when you watch him against Darren Till he looked good like I said he he's always been a blitzing fighter I don't know why the weasel is saying that he just now decided to blitz he's always been a blitzing fighter you idiot he fights in that karate stance it's just now he's a lot more smarter with it more calculated he's more fresher and now and he throws more versatility of strikes instead of the same pattern and that's what we saw in the Darren Till fight you know the question is will he be able to do that against someone like Jared Cannonier who's technically power who's powerful who's but also extremely technical at the same time a guy who's not just being a guy with not just a guy who's relying on his physical attributes but is actually trying to get better and prove his technique you know that's the difference how is he going to fare against this rising contender you know Israeli Adesanya he said he wants to fight Jared Cannonier so you can tell that probably motivate that is even motivating Jared Cannonier but uh, that could also be a bad thing too that could also put a lot of pressure on Jared Cannonier you know guys you know guys who you know people who you know make a big emphasis 
on fighting for a title or getting a big title shot, they usually end up losing the fight that they're about that they're competing in. You know, I've always said, you know, this going back to uh, what's her name? Uh, Sarah Eubanks, when she said, you know, I'm tired of fighting tomato cans. I want to fight a top five contender. It's like, don't talk about fighting a top five fight if you haven't even won your fight yet. And this is the same thing, you know, don't talk about getting a title if you haven't even won your fight to get a shot at the title yet. You know, just win the fight first, then talk about getting the title. I don't care if the champ says that he wants to fight you next. You don't worry about that. Worry about your fight first, then start talking about, then start worrying about the call out. You haven't won the fight yet, you know, but when people, you know, but when people start, you know, you know, thinking past their opponent, you know, they end up losing. You know, they end up falling short and then they never get back to that point again. Like, you know, Sarah Eubanks and, you know, what could happen to, you know, Cannoneer, you know, hopefully if he's, you know, smart and staying focused on the task at hand, not, you know, you know, not being, you know, not looking past Robert Whitaker, he can very much win, but it just depends on that mentality. And he seems like he has a strong mentality when you watch interviews and things like that, but so has Robert Whitaker. He has shown great, you know, mental strength. The guy is mentally tough and he's seemed to be very, very rejuvenated. It's just, you know, like I said, it's just that type of experience that Robert Whitaker has versus, you know, the momentum that Jared Cannonier has, you know, it's one of those kind of, you know, unstoppable force versus the immovable object. You know, can, you know, the momentum of Jared Cannonier, you know, get past that wall of experience that, you know, Robert Whitaker presents. And it's it's going to be very interesting. Um, but whoever wins this, you know, it's obvious they're fighting, you know, Adesanya for the title. But, you know, they're just fighting Adesanya for the title. So, yeah, uh, for this fight, I, pfft, I wouldn't blink in this fight because there's a good chance that Robert. So, going on to the next fight. So, go, so going on to the next one, right? Um, the main event. I mean... I mean, I mean, so the thing with this is the thing that I've, I've said before, and I keep saying this all the time, and I don't know why people don't acknowledge it. This goes back to, like I said before, I don't understand why people do not acknowledge it. Khabib is a Sambo fighter. He is not a wrestler. He is a Sambo fighter. Yes, he does emphasis on the ground and the grappling more than the striking. But when you ask him, he says he's a Sambo fighter because that's where he started. So it's different. It's not the same as regular wrestling. It's not the same as jujitsu. It's Sambo. This was the same issue when Fedor was running around. Guys were training in all these various styles, not realizing 
It's Sambo, you dipshit. Train in fucking Sambo. <laughs> or train with somebody who's fought Sambo. So that's one thing I wanted to really throw out there. It's fucking Sambo. Not wrestling, it's Sambo. So it's different. Um, the thing with this fight is no one's giving Gagey a chance. I mean, it's really kind of sad. Um... You know, I it's really, really sad, actually. And what people don't understand is Gagey can win. The thing with Khabib, and I said this before, and it seems to be the thing, and like I said, you know, I mean, so, so you have this fight, right? So the thing with, the, the thing with Gage, the thing I said before, well, how when you look, the thing is, is a lot of people cite to Ally Aquinta being the fight that exposed Khabib. But that's not the case. You know. I mean, so. You know, the thing is, is like, but Ally Aquinta did a good job of surviving. He didn't do a good job of winning the fight. He really didn't do a good job at all. I mean, he did a very, very good job of surviving, and that's it. And surviving is not impressive. That's really not impressive at all. That's just something, you know, you can give a thumbs up to, but that's not something to acknowledge. Now, Connor, and I'm probably going to get a lot of people who are going to go off on me giving Connor, but Connor's the one who did the best. Reason why is you look at the strategy that he used as well as the fact that he did win a third round. And we learned a lot from Khabib in that fight. Reason why was we know that he has trouble going backwards. We know that he does slow down in the later rounds. Now, whether it's because of the output that he puts or because of the weight cut is kind of remains to be seen. I think it's mostly the weight cut. He does, you know, cut a lot of weight to make 155, and he's had problems before. I think the weight cut is why he slows down in the later rounds. But, you know, but it's easier said than done. You know, in order to get it into the later rounds, to get him tired, you have to take the center. You have to take the center. You have to go and fight him. You can't wrestle. You got to go in and fight. You can't worry about the takedown. The thing that I've said before is Khabib is just one of those people. He's so good at what he does. There's just no way of stopping it. It's going to happen. You're going to get taken down. You're going to get put on the ground. You're going to be on your back for however long. Just accept it. The only thing you can do is either fight or get back up. But as soon as you get back up, you got to attack. You have to start attacking immediately. And that was the thing with Connor was Connor had the right idea. He just had the wrong approach. You know, the concept was right, but but he had the wrong approach. He took the center, but he was too defensive. He was too worried about the takedown. He was too busy defending the takedown. Don't get me wrong. He didn't do that bad. He did very good in getting back up and stuffing the takedowns, but the problem was, was he got so busy defending that he didn't try to attack when he should have just straight attacked right away. And then when he had the opportunity on the feet, he shouldn't have been hesitant. He should have immediately started finding his range and throwing strikes, started attacking the body, started going to the head. Don't, you know, who cares? If he takes you down, well then, like I said, fight off your back, get back up. But as soon as you get up, you got to jump on him. You got to start 
you know, you got to jump on them. You have to start attacking. You know, it just you doesn't matter where you're at. Once you're on the feet, jump on them. Don't give him a moment to rest, you know, and that's what you have to do to beat Khabib. Gagey has that style. He will take the center and he will attack. He doesn't. He will not worry about the takedown. He will attack. He will not worry about the takedown. He's not going to sit there and, you know, and, you know, he, he's not going to sit there and be defensive. He is going to be offensive. He is going to attack because that is what you need to do. You know, you know, you have to attack. You can't be defensive. You know, that's, you know, and that's the mistake that Connor made. That's the mistake that every fighter makes, you know, is they're too defensive. You know, they're just, you know, they're too, he was, they're too, they were too defensive. They were too worried about, you know, the takedown. They were, they were too worried about the takedown that they never really got their offense off when instead they should have just said, fuck the takedown, take the center and start blasting, start attacking, you know, start, you know, start throwing strikes, attacking the body, going after his legs, throwing, you know, setting up shots, setting up uppercuts, things like that, you know, and if he shoots, you know, and if you, and if you're able to stuff the takedown, that's great. If you're able to stuff the takedown, that's great. That's awesome. But as soon as you stuff it, start attacking. You know, start hitting him with elbows. Start hitting him with bombs. Start, you know, hell, going for submissions. You know, it, like I said, you know, like I said, start attacking. You know, don't don't lessen your offense. You know, and that is what Gagey will do. You know, Gagey is a guy. The thing with Gagey was when he started out, he was aggressive. But when he got into the UFC, after he had the two losses he had, he became controlled aggressive. You know, that's how he beat, you know, that's how he beat Tony. And that's how, honestly, you know, I'm more confident that he, more confident in him being, you know, Khabib than Tony because of that fact is that he will be controlled aggressive. He will put the pressure, but every shot that he lands will be calculated. It is not going to be just him swinging wild. He's going to be calculated with those shots. You know, he's going, you know, while putting that pressure. It's not a matter of him using his wrestling. It's not a matter of him, you know, it's not a matter of him using his wrestling. You know, it's a matter of him, you know, you know, it's a matter of him being offensive. You know, it's a matter of him, you know, being offensive and not worrying about the takedown and using his wrestling to get back up or attack off of his back. Now, Gagey's not really known for attacking off of his back. So if anything, using his wrestling to get back up is the next best thing. But as soon as he gets up, you have to attack. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're in the center of the ring or up against the cage. Start attacking. You know, do not give him a moment to rest and reset. You know, that is the key to beating a guy like Khabib. You know, for Khabib, it's pretty much the same as always. Grab him, take him down, smash. His top pressure is the most deadliest, probably the most, he's probably has the best top pressure out of everybody in the UFC. You know, You know, so 
and and that's the thing it's just it just i i don't so it's not a matter of can he defend the takedown it's a matter of it's a matter of you have to be offensive you know you got to make it a fight and that's what Gagey can do. He can make it a fight. The difference is, is he is not just going to be wild. He is going to be controlled. You know, most, you know, and that was the thing that I seem to, that was the thing that, you know, I seem to have missed with Tony. You know, before I was confident that Tony would win. But the thing was, when watching the Gagey fight, I didn't realize that Tony is not the best defensively. He doesn't have the best defense. And the thing with Tony is, is that he's wild, but he's not calculated, you know? And when you watch how well Khabib handled himself, you know, against Alaya Quinta, because Alaya Quinta was trying to get him into a brawl, you know? He was trying to stall him out on the ground and then get him into a brawl on the feet, you know, or to get him into a brawl on the feet. But, you know, he couldn't do that. You know, he, he couldn't do that, you know, because Khabib was very smart, very calm, and he was very calculated. And that just goes to show you how good Khabib's fight IQ is because, you know, he recognized that. Most fighters in, in a situation, there's not a lot of fighters who have the fight IQ to recognize when they're being stalled out and trying to be led into a brawl. You know, most fighters, they just take the bait like what Kevin Lee did, you know, but... Khabib did a good job of recognizing that, okay, you're just trying to stall and brawl. You're just trying, you know, you're just trying to stall and brawl. So he took his time. He picked Alec Quinto apart. And when he had the opportunity to take him down to the ground again, he took him down. He was very good on the feet, surprisingly. Like people, I, I don't think people real, really give Khabib the credit, the enough, the, the, the amount of credit he deserves i mean his jab was good his defense was good his footwork was good i mean circling away i mean it was really really impressive you know so you know khabib is very good you know you know very you know khabib is very good at recognizing what his opponent does in the ring you know in the cage and is good at making adjustments in the moment not a lot of fighters can adapt within mid fight and he showed that he can't adapt mid fight that's what i learned from the ally quinta fight and so when you think a guy like tony who likes to create brawls and get people into these brawls there's a there's a good chance Tony probably wasn't going to win that. You know, Tony wasn't going to win because if Tony couldn't make it into this brawl, then he would have lost. You know, then he would have lost. And that was something I didn't realize until after seeing him fight Gagey. Now, Gagey's the type of guy he can make it a brawl, but he can make it a calculated brawl. His shots are going to be calculated. He is going to pick Khabib apart. He's going to put the pressure and he's going to have every punch be calculated. He's going to put an offense, but it's going to be a calculated offense. Every punch, every kick is going to be, you know, calculated. It's not just going to be for this. It's not going to be without a purpose. Um, Another thing people don't realize is his leg kicks. His leg kicks are some of the most devastating leg kicks. I mean, in the lightweight division, more devastating than Edson Barboza. I mean, you don't believe me? He made Barboza bat. He outkicked Barboza. Okay, no one 
outkicks Barboza, okay? He outkicked Barboza, had Barboza backing up, and pretty much eventually got the knockout after that. But it was those low kicks that forced Barboza to back up. You know, no one outkicks Barboza. Barboza was one of the most devastating kickers in the UFC. And he outkicked Barboza. He made Barboza back up from leg kicks. That is how good Gagey's, that's how good and dangerous Justin Gagey's leg kicks are, is the fact that he outkicked one of the most devastating kickers in the lightweight division and just in the UFC and just had him backing up almost immediately. And the thing with his low kicks is his low kicks almost come at a mid range and a downward angle, you know, um, it kind of reminds me of almost like an Ernesto Hoost, you know, Ernesto Hoost used to throw his kicks like that, where he would throw his kicks in this kind of like downward angle where he, where this downward angle, where it was like, as if he was chopping down a tree, you know, just bam, like almost he was like, as if he was chopping down a tree and it was always devastating. And it was always just, it would, and it would just break guys down. And that's that's Justin Gagey's low kicks. Is his low kicks are just like they're almost like Ernesto Hoos low kicks where they just chop you down and just like as if you're trying to chop down a large tree and it is just and it is just devastating. You know, it, it sends people backing up. It makes people I mean, no one wants none of it. Like, you know, every person that he's kicked has immediately just started circling out and backing up and just trying to just get all out of the way of those kicks because when they get hit once they realize oh shit this guy is <laughs> this guy's nasty and you know that's the case with you know Justin Gagey is he's a nasty fighter the guy knows how to be violent and when you're fighting a grappler you have to be violent you have to be brutal you can't be nice you can't be gentle you know the grappler wants to use more of the gentle way you know but the person that's not the grappler you want to be violent you want to do the violent way so you got a knee you got a kick you got a punch you got a elbow i mean you got to pick him up slam him you have to be violent and that's what gigi has to do he has to be violent but he has to be calculated because khabib can make adjustments in the mid fight and if when once a and if Khabib makes adjustments and figures you know and if Khabib is able to make adjustments gigi will not win so that is that's like the pretty much the main portion of that breakdown um something that the weasel doesn't do uh and when so when you talk about the weasel and the thing is he he went on this rant about conor mcgregor conor mcgregor posted you know there were some people on twitter who gave their opinions about what they felt about the fight you know about the about what they felt about the conor versus for khabib fight and then conor had his opinion now you know and then the weasel of course put this long video about how Connors, you know, doesn't, you know, really, you know, he hasn't learned from the loss. He's not being humble. He can't accept the loss. No, Connor has accepted the loss. You know, it's just, he's saying these things out of controversy. He's saying these things to put himself in the limelight for, so when, if he ends up, if, for when he fights Dustin Poirier, and if he beats Dustin Poirier, immediately there's momentum for him to get a fight against Khabib, 
you know, if Khabib is still the champion. It, honestly, I don't think it really matters whether or not he's the champion. The fact if, you know, if Dustin Poirier, if he beats Dustin Poirier, he's going to instantly get a shot at Khabib, whether Khabib has the title or not. And, you know, but he's saying these things to build controversy. He's saying these things to build momentum. The Weasel did probably one of the most dumbest things ever was then he used the comparison of, he used the comparison of Dominic Cruz versus the Dominic Cruz Henry Cejudo fight with the Conor with what Conor McGregor said on tele, you know, on Twitter. And the thing is, is those are not the same thing. Okay, Th those are not the same thing at all. Those are two separate fucking things, completely different from each other. The Cruz situation was that was a result of a bad stoppage. It was a terrible stoppage by a ref who obviously I don't know what his credentials are but he made a very bad call and you know the knee had nothing to do with it it had nothing to do with the knee had nothing to do with it you know but of course the weasel tried saying oh he just couldn't accept that he got caught with a knee it's like no dumbass the knee has nothing to do with it it has to do with what came after the knee which was the bad stoppage you know he was working there was five seconds left on the clock he was working his way back up a lot of those punches were being missed it wasn't like he was standing there taking punches he was moving trying to recover five seconds left on the clock and the ref stopped it so yeah no <laughs> that was a result of a bad stoppage you dipshit so i don't know the terrible comparison i mean for one you know i i don't know why he would make that comparison but like i said connor he, he's saying those things for controversy and even then too you know even and even then too even I mean, it's not the same. I mean, yeah, so. So it's just he's and the thing is, is like when you look at that, when you look at that fight, right, you look at you look at the fight and I mean, Connor had an interesting perspective looking at the fight. If you look at the fight in its entirety, no rules, then, yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense. Like I said, he didn't do that bad. I mean, he didn't do that bad. He did really well, surprisingly. You know, he... Surprisingly. But the thing is, is he just... You know, of course, but the thing is, it wasn't all that well. You know, he did good, he just didn't do great. Now, his perspective on the fight is... You know, it, it. You know, even though yes, I feel it's more of just based off of creating controversy. I mean, it's probably him offering, trying to offer a different perspective, which is, I mean, I don't think it's delusional, but I think it's, you know, it creates an interesting factor. So, I mean, all in all, I mean, all in all, I like I said. So, so all in all, it's it's really not that big deal. And I mean, it's funny, you know, it's entertaining, it's funny, you know, but like I said, it's just, it's not, like I said, it's, it's not that big of a deal, you know, um, you know, you know, I just think he's, he, he's taking it too literal, you know, he's taking it too literal, but once again, like I said, he does crappy breakdowns, 
like crappy predictions. I mean, you know, I'm not really a huge fan of the weasel, but yeah, you got to be open to all different types of, you know, you got to be all different types of interpretations and breakdowns and shit. So all in all. So, yeah, so who I think will win, I mean, there's a, I don't like giving predictions, but there's a part of me that feels Gagey might win this one. I think Gagey might shock the world. I think he's going to shock the world. He's going to beat Khabib, and it's going to be in a way that no one saw coming. I mean, I'm pretty sure it will be in a way that I don't see coming. So we'll see how it goes down. All right, so you know, place your bets, all that good shit, and see you after the fight.